Amen. Lord, we come tonight, and, and Lord, so easy just in a matter of days or even hours, even minutes, Lord, to become burdened by the cares of this world and struggles of this life. And Lord, I pray tonight that even before we go to your word, that we would lay all those burdens down. Your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Lord, to walk with you is a joyous walk, not a burdensome one. And Father, we ask as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, for the sake of your people, as I often pray, use this marred and imperfect vessel that you might be glorified. It's not the words of men that transform lives, it's the word of God as your Holy Spirit would speak. So give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 45. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you can be there tomorrow night, it would be great to have you out there. Um, and if, if, if we get the approval, there's a 10-day waiting period. And then after that, we can start doing demolition and painting and all the stuff we need to do. And Lord willing, uh, sometime in May, be having church out there. So be in prayer. Amen. And God seems to be raising up the people. It's pretty exciting. And at the same time, we only want it if God wants us to have it. Amen? So be in prayer. And consider coming out there tomorrow night if you can. In case I get some hecklers or something while I'm talking. That'd be good. You guys can say amen, amen, or something, right? All right. Genesis 45. We continue through the life of Joseph. We come to the chapter tonight. In 22 years, he's been away from his family. But as we've seen in the last few chapters, that his family has come back into his realm of influence, if you will, but they don't know that it's Joseph. And if you'll recall what God has done through Joseph, is Joseph's character was tested for 14 years, and then he was put into a place of of position and power. But God didn't put him there until his character had been both conformed and proven. God allowed him to spend time in a pit, time in prison, time as a slave. And all of that time, we saw Joseph continuing to faithfully serve God. No matter where you put Joseph, he continued to love and serve and honor God and do whatever was put in front of him as unto the Lord. Boy, we could use some Josephs today, amen? Well, not only did Joseph do that, though, it was all part of what God wanted to do in him. And now God is doing the same thing through him to his brothers, Because I can imagine that the first time he saw his brother, some time has gone by with the famine hit the land. You recall that the reason Joseph was put into the position of authority is that when the dream came to Pharaoh, nobody could interpret it. And while Joseph was in prison, he was a faithful prisoner. He had interpreted the dream of the butler and the baker. And the butler said, oh, I just forgot. Yeah, there was a guy two years ago. I was supposed to tell you about him. I forgot. You know, uh, Joseph didn't forget. He'd been down there two more years. But He's down in prison, and he can interpret your dream. And remember that we saw Joseph's character that after 14 years of trials, 13 years of trials, he comes up, and when Pharaoh asks him to interpret the dream, he doesn't negotiate, he doesn't bargain, and he won't take any credit. He could have said, oh, you need your dream interpreted? Uh, I'm going to need a quarter of your land. Or I'm going to need enough food to last me for a year and a good horse to ride home on, or whatever. Instead, what does he say? God alone interprets dreams, and I interpret dreams for him alone. He alone gets all the glory. 
And we know that Joseph interprets the dream, tells Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. So you better set aside 20% of your crop during the seven good years that you might be able to eat during the bad years lest everybody's going to die. And appoint a man over it who can oversee these things. And Pharaoh said, who in the world has wisdom but you? Because you know what, guys? When God gives us wisdom, it's apparent to the world around us and God is glorified. And so Joseph becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. Remember, he clothed him, even put his chain around his neck. He put his ring on his finger. He rode right behind Pharaoh. People bowed to him. Well, the seven years of plenty went by, and then the famine hit. And in the second year of the famine, Jacob, they're still back in the land of Canaan. And where they are, they begin to get hungry. And so he says, boys, Go into Egypt. We hear they've got food. I imagine a caravan just passing through because the only place that had food was Egypt because the only place that had Joseph was Egypt because only Joseph at the time was really walking with God. And so God was blessing Egypt for Joseph's sake. So they go down to Egypt. And if you remember that when they came in before Joseph, he recognized them. They had no clue who he was. No doubt in their minds, sold him into slavery. He's got to be dead by now. 20 years have gone by. And if he's not dead, he's probably serving in some dungeon somewhere. But they come before, he recognizes them. And then, because of the Lord, he puts them to a test. And the way that he tests them over the last couple of chapters is, he checks their heart toward Benjamin and their heart toward their father. And so if you recall, what happens is he gives them all the food, but he says, you're going to have to leave one of your brothers here and go back and bring your youngest brother back or I'm not going to give you any food. Remember, he asked the question, is your father well? 20 years, he hadn't heard a word about his dad. And he finds out his dad's well. And then he asks, do you have any other brothers? And he hears for the first time a little bit of repentance because they said, yeah, we have one younger one at home, and then we have another one who is no more. And later on in the text, they even begin to confess to each other how they'd really blown it by what they had done to Joseph. And he's hearing this because they're speaking to him He's speaking to them in an Egyptian language through an interpreter, and they're speaking in Hebrew, and he understands them perfectly. Well, now he sends them home and says, if you don't bring Benjamin back, I'm not giving you anything. Well, they go home, and we know that Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. Benjamin's the only remaining son from Rachel, his beloved wife, the only other son other than Joseph, who he now thinks is dead, because his Brothers not only threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery, but came home with his bloody coat of many colors and said, yeah, he was probably torn up by a beast and let their dad suffer in grief and torment for 20 years. Well, now they go home and they don't immediately come back. They asked to take Benjamin back and his dad said, you can't. If you do, I'm going to die. But guess what? Their food runs out. And if you remember, when they went back, they got home and they found all their money back in their sacks and it made them concerned that... You know, if we go back to Egypt, they're going to think we stole it from them. But Joseph is the one who put it there. Well, they got hungry enough and desperate enough that Benjamin came back with them. And when the 11 brothers came in this time, Joseph sees them. We know at one point, he's so gripped by seeing his brothers and seeing Benjamin especially that he goes behind a curtain and begins to weep because he doesn't want him to see what happened. But then again, again, he tests their character. He sends them on their way. But before he does... He feeds them. And if you remember, he gave Benjamin five times the portion. And the reason he did that is because, remember, when Joseph was favored, they didn't like it. And he thought, let me favor Benjamin and see how they respond. When they favored Joseph, they got angry and jealous and threw him in a pit. 
Benjamin got five times as much food and his brothers didn't even flinch. He thought, okay. So then he sends them home. But remember, he put his cup, his cup of divination, the cup that they believed you could stir it up and look into it and tell the future. Not, nothing, you know, not any more stupid than astrology or crystal balls or tarot cards or anything else, right? They throw seeds or oil in there and shake it, and then a guy could read the oil in the cup. And so they thought that it really worked because who knew the future? Joseph. And it was Joseph's cup, even though he'd always given God the glory. So they leave, and then he chases him down, tells his servant, probably his son Manasseh, go chase, down, go chase him down. In this case, go chase your uncles down. And when you catch them, have them open up their sacks, and whoever's got the cup, bring them back. Well, Manasseh put the cup in Benjamin's sack, and they knew it was there. And when he caught up to him last week, all, seven, all the 11 brothers are like, hey, we didn't do anything. What are you talking about? And sure enough, as he continues to open up each sack, the cup's not there. And you can imagine them feeling a little more vindicated as each, cup open, each you know, sack opens up and there's no cup, no cup. And he goes from oldest to youngest. And when they get to Benjamin, they open up the sack and the cup comes out. And you can imagine all 11 of them going, oh no. Because what they had said is, whoever you find the cup with, kill him and the rest of us will be your slaves. Well, the servant of Joseph says, I don't want anybody to die. If I find the cup, I'll just take him as a slave. The rest of you can go. This was a test. Because in the past, they let Joseph be a slave and they all left. Now this time, would they do the same thing to Benjamin? They didn't flinch when he was shown favoritism, but how were they going to respond this time? Well, instead of going home without Benjamin, they all came back with him. And when they showed up yet again, the heart of Joseph was gripped. Hey, Maybe they have changed. I showed them favoritism. They didn't flinch. They could have left. Benjamin would have come back by himself. They all came back with him. And then he was really touched when Judah stepped up. And Judah, which means praise, said to the man, that's what he's called in the text, if you don't let my brother come home, my father's going to die. He will die. He can't take it. It's his beloved son. And basically, To make a long story short, Judah says this, you take me, I'll stay, you let him go. And when that happens, that brings us to tonight's text, and we're going to see how that just strikes Joseph. And it's a picture of exactly what Jesus did for us. Because for Benjamin to be restored to his father, Judah was willing to take his place. And for us to be restored to our heavenly father, Jesus Christ took our place, amen? And so we come to tonight's chapter, and we're going to see, and I titled the message, All Things Do Work Together for Good. And as we go through, we're going to see that all things do work together for good. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who trust in God, for those who are called according to His purpose. You know what? If we trust in God, we're called according to His purpose, we obey Him, all things do work together for good. But we're going to see it happens in God's timing, not ours. Secondly, according to God's ways, not ours. Thirdly, to bring about God's plan, not ours. Fourthly, blessed for His sake, not ours. And then finally, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. So all things do work together for good. And as they're working together for good, it's not always in our timing. It's not always in the way we'd like to have it happen. Sometimes a little rougher. Sometimes it takes a little longer. But guess what? God knows what He's doing. And he's perfect, he's holy, he's sovereign, he's always right on time, amen? 
So let's begin in chapter 45. All things do work together for good. First of all, in God's timing, not ours. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. So Joseph had put his brothers to the test. They had passed with flying colors. He had put their, their character to the test, mainly by examining the way they, they treated Benjamin and how they treated their father. Each test ordained by God gave them an opportunity to do what they had done to Joseph. They threw Joseph in a pit. They could have abandoned Benjamin. They didn't like him being favored. They could have responded the same way when it came to Benjamin. But instead, what do they do? They respond in a more godly way. 22 years have passed, and God's done a work in their heart. You know what's interesting? It's the only record we have during the 22 years is really in Genesis, I think it's 37 or 38. It's the one where we see Judah just totally blowing it. The only record we have for that 20-year period is Judah marrying an ungodly woman, having two sons struck down by God for being ungodly, and then him going after his wife dies to sleep with a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law, and then when she's brought forward being pregnant, he says, burn her alive, and then... She brings his staff and says, oh yeah, this is the staff of the man who slept with me because he had left his staff with her. And then he finds out it was him. That's the only thing we've heard about them. So guess what? Not so good. But now here we are 20 years later and we're starting to see, okay, there is some godly character and it's seen by the way they treat their brothers. Guys, we can see godly character in the hearts and lives of people by the way we treat each other. Amen? It's one thing to talk about. It's one thing to quote scripture, and we should be able to. It's one thing to talk about being a prayer warrior and so on and so forth. But guys, it's really shown in how we treat each other. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. So Judah was willing to sacrifice himself, and these actions proved to Joseph that indeed there had been a change in their hearts, and as he stood before them, he couldn't hold it back any longer. I'll tell you what. I don't know about you, but if I had seen my brothers after 20 years, I couldn't have waited a couple more years like he did, or waited all this extra time of sending them and coming back. But boy, he's being a patient and a godly man, and patience is a godly virtue. No doubt we all struggle with to a certain degree, amen? But here he had waited, and finally, he sees the time has come. They've been put to the test, and they've passed. God's done a work in their heart. He's seen how they treat Benjamin. He heard how Judah talked about his father, where before he didn't, they didn't care about telling dad, yeah, Joseph's dead. This time he's like, if you go back and tell my dad that Benjamin's not with us, he's going to die. There's been a change in a heart and change in compassion. And now because of that, it's impacting Joseph. And notice what it sa- he says. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. 22 years of emotion are now flooding to the surface. So in the Egyptian language, he orders all the Egyptian guards and servants out of the room so he could be alone with his brothers. 22 years of waiting and wondering, patiently waiting as he tests their character at God's leading. And now the moment has finally arrived. Then it says, so no one stood with him. So Joseph's about to let the secret out. The secret that his brothers have no idea. They're going to be shocked, and we're going to see it in a moment. But Joseph's revelation wouldn't be appropriate for anybody but his family. Those who would not understand were removed. The Egyptian 
view of Joseph was that he was a man of wisdom and authority, but his brothers knew him in a much more intimate way. Isn't that interesting? The world looks at Jesus and they'll say to us, oh, he was a good man or a wise man or a good teacher or a good example, but we who are his family know better. Amen? And the same is true as the Egyptians were sent out. You know, they had a high view of Joseph, but they didn't know him like his brothers knew him. And as he sent them away, this was a time of intimacy between him and his family. And the same, this is clearly also a picture of what will happen uh, in Judgment Day. In heaven one day, those who don't know God will be sent away that we might enter into intimate fellowship with him. Only those who know him can enter into that real fellowship with him. His brothers who have been blinded to the truth of who he really is. And he's about to reveal himself. He's going to do it out of the sight of an unbelieving world, just as the Lord reveals Himself to us, and often the world doesn't see it. And then it says this, So no one stood with Him, all the guards are out, all the servants are out, the only Egyptian in the room standing before them, and all His Egyptian garb with His ring on, and the, you know, the chain around His neck, and here stands the eleven brothers, the eleven tribes of Israel, if you will. And Joseph's standing in front of them. Now I have an idea, they're nervous already. Because he says, get all the guards out of here, get all the servants out of here in Egypt. And now he's standing there, the interpreter's gone. What's he going to do? And they're standing there, and then this happened. And it says, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Note, he waits to reveal himself to his brothers till they come to a place of brokenness and desperation. When does God reveal himself to us? Not in our arrogance, not in our self-sufficiency, not when we walk around thinking we're doing God a break by coming to him. Amen? You know, God will be really blessed to have me on his team. I can see why you want to share your faith with me because anybody who gets me, I'm going to be an asset. No. True repentance comes with tears, not cheers. Amen? I would much rather see someone walking down an aisle to an altar call weeping than skipping. Amen? Not that there isn't joy, but there needs to be brokenness before there's joy. Amen? And so he has seen brokenness. He's seen them willing to surrender. He's seen Judah say, take my life instead of his. He's seen them come to the end of themselves, and now he's going to reveal to his brothers who he really is. Verse 2, he wept aloud. Joseph had held back from openly showing his emotion to his brothers. Remember before? He hid behind a curtain. This time, he starts weeping. And he's weeping aloud. And in the original language, it speaks of a lament like nothing you've heard before. It's just an incredible lament, like something that might happen once or twice in a lifetime, maybe even never. So much so, as we're going to read on in the text, that people outside could hear him. So, I mean, he is just let, 22 years... And he just weeps. He is broken. He is just crying out. He's seen their broken, repentant hearts. He's seen their love for one another. He could no longer maintain his emotion. These were tears of joy and strong affection for his brother and so loud that everyone outside could hear. This is a picture of the divine compassion God has towards those who come back to him. You know the story of the prodigal son. We don't have time to read it. But in Luke 15, remember, he goes off and spends everything he has. He asked for his inheritance. Give it to me now. He gives it to him and he goes away and he spends it all foolishly. 
wine and women and drinking, and he's done. And what happens? When he's done, he finds himself eating pig slop. And he thinks, you know, if I went back to my dad's house, a servant in his house lives better than this. Maybe if I go back, he'll let me be a servant. Well, you know the story. When his dad saw him coming afar off, he said, kill the fatted calf. And bring out a coat and bring out a ring. And let's celebrate because my son who was lost has now been found. You know what, guys? When you walk away from God, his, only, his desire is that you come home. For me say it many times, a million steps, you can take a million steps away from God. It's one step back. Amen? And he's so right there waiting for you. And here's Joseph. He could have been piling on his brothers. And instead, he is overwhelmed with joy. Overwhelmed just to the depths of his heart that his brothers who had been lost to him for so many years are now found. They're now back. He wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. This shows me too that he's unashamed. While he doesn't want them there because he's going to share an intimate moment, he is so overwhelmed, he's not really worried about what anybody else thinks. He's only concerned about being reunited to his brothers. And then he says this, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Now the interpreter's gone. He's been speaking you know, in the Egyptian language to them all this time through an interpreter. And now he says words that would shock them to the depths of their soul. I don't know if he doesn't say here, but you can almost imagine him standing there, maybe taking off the part of his robe or standing before them and then looking at his brothers and saying, I am Joseph. And we're going to find out in another verse that the way they responded was in terror. They didn't go, sweet, baby brother, how you been? Give me some, right? They didn't do that. What are they? We're going to see that they were like, oh no, oh no. This is the guy we've been afraid of. This is the guy who was in charge of everything. This is the guy who could have us put to death. And it's the guy we threw in the pit. It's the guy we made fun of. It's the guy whose colt we stole. When he was in the pit, you were the one mocking him. It wasn't me, it was you. I remember. Maybe he'll, you know, right? Can you almost see it? They were petrified. I am Joseph. Must have hit him like a lightning bolt. This is a picture of a future event when Jesus will reveal himself as the Messiah to Israel. It says in Zechariah 12, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. You know what's going to happen in the future? After the rapture of the church, Jesus is going to look at the and say, I am the Messiah. I am Jesus. And they're going to realize the one they persecuted is the only one that can save them. Just as these tribes of Israel, these 11 brothers, are realizing the one we persecuted is the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can give us food. He's the only one that can sustain us. And the only relationship we have with him you know, the last thing we did was throw him in a pit. The Jews will look on him. The last thing we did is cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The last thing we did is say, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And now, they're going to recognize that he is indeed the one and only Messiah. While Joseph 
lovingly sought to know more details about the health of his father, it was like a bomb went off in the room. Because here's what he says, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? I don't think they heard, does my father still live? Do you? Maybe. I am Joseph. that's, That's it. What? Oh, no. The brother we envied, hated, plotted to kill, sold for a price of a slave. And when, we, when he spoke, they couldn't answer him. It says there, but his brothers could, an, could not answer him. They were dismayed in his presence. That word dismayed in Hebrew means amazed, frightened, or terrified. Being confronted by the very one they sinned against, they didn't make excuses. They didn't try to justify their behavior. They didn't question or make demands. Instead, they, they were left speechless and terrified. What do you think that's a picture of? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and nobody's going to stand before him and go, I got some questions for you. Right? Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking about a few things. I'm trying to understand, what were you thinking about with mosquitoes exactly? I mean, nobody's going to do that. Or, you know, how come you didn't do this? Or how come I couldn't marry her? And why didn't I get that promotion in July of, you know, 2005? And why? No. We're going to be like these guys. Terrified. In a good way. Amen? This is it. Amen? What's the position of every... No questions. No excuses. On your face. These guys... We're going to see in the next verse, not only were they terrified and dismayed, you know, shaking in their boots, they backed up into the corner. They, I am Joseph. Uh, uh, and they just backed up into as far away from him as they could get and still be in the room. How do we know that? Because you're going to tell them in a minute, come over here. They're scared to death. And again, this is such a clear picture of what's going to happen with the Jews. Because what? They're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And there's not going to be a room to make excuses. There's not going to be a room to question him. But instead, they're going to finally realize. They're going to look upon not him who they threw in a pit, but him who they pierced. And you know what, guys? We've all pierced him. It's all of us who put him on the cross. Amen? It wasn't a group of people. It was all of mankind. But as we continue through the text, we're going to see that, that Joseph being thrown in a pit was ultimately for the good of all people, just as Jesus dying on a cross is for the good of all mankind. Amen? God knows what he's doing. They'd sold him into slavery. Now he's the second most powerful man in the world. Have you ever heard that term, don't burn your bridges? That's a good idea. Have you ever like burnt a bridge behind you and then later you find out, oh no. Not that guy. The guy that I quit on, the guy that I didn't go back to work because he was a jerk, the guy I yelled and screamed at, and he's the foreman at my new job. Oh, no. He's the second most powerful man in the world, and we threw him in a pit. Oh, no. Terrified. Good reaction, right? They're probably thinking, he's been messing with us. He got us all in one room, and here it comes. Here comes the heat. You know what, guys? He's going to be a picture of our Savior, the one and only Messiah, the one and only true and living God. We deserve judgment, and He pours out grace. Amen? These guys deserve judgment, and God, through Joseph, is going to pour out grace. No doubt they were mindful of all they had done to Him, but He's not going to remind them of what they've done to Him. Instead, He's going to talk about how God was at work. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, 
Please come near to me. Get out of the corner. Come on over here. It's okay. So he draws them near unto himself. He seeks to put their minds at ease, to reach out to them, asking them to come near. I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold. He hasn't forgotten what they did. You know what it reminded me of? When Paul was knocked off his high horse or his high donkey on the road to Damascus, you remember what happened? He was blinded, he's laying on the ground, and he said, you know, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul was trembling and astonished and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He went from going out to kill Christians, he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, and in one second it was, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what happens. That's called salvation, redemption, transformation, new creation in Christ. Amen? One minute, an enemy of God. The next minute, I'm your servant, Lord. What do you want me to do? This is what it's... Now, these guys were... They're terrified. And when they heard those words, I have an idea. They're brought to the end of themselves, and they're at a place where they're ready to completely surrender. Surrender. Confronted with their sin and unable to respond, they sat in fear and awe and no doubt thought, we're done and we deserve whatever happens. We deserve it. We did it. I am Joseph, your brother. And though it was 22 years ago, I haven't forgotten, you sold me into Egypt. You're the reason I'm here, but it wasn't so nice how I got here. Now, all things do work together for good, but in God's timing, not ours. It's been 22 years. This was God's plan all along. Do you think Joseph would have liked to have sped the plan up? Hey, you're going to bring my brothers? Bring them sooner. He also must have thought, where's dad? They throw me in a pit, I get sold into slavery, certainly dad's going to show up at some point, but dad thought he was dead the whole time, that's why I didn't come looking for him. So all things do work together for good, it happens in God's timing, not ours, we haven't seen it all completely happen yet, but it's about to. Secondly, it happens according to God's ways, not ours, verse 5, but now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Rather than seeking vengeance, Joseph points to the sovereignty of God. You did evil, God used it for his glory. Don't be grieved by what you've done. It was all part of God's plan. Now, I want to make this clear. He's not saying that doing evil is okay as long as the results are good. The ends do not justify the means, amen? But what he is saying is, look, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yes, you did evil, but you know what? God is greater. And even though you did evil, God is still going to work it out for his good, even though you didn't mean it for good. All things work together for good, according to God's ways, not ours. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Think about that for one second. Don't ever say good luck to anybody. We don't need luck. We got Jesus. You know, luck, you know that the form of a word for Lucifer. You know that, right? That's where it came from. Good Lucifer. Yeah, not, not so much. I don't need any of that. Lord be with you might be better. Amen? Go according to his will. There's no coincidences. God is sovereign. He's in control. And he desires to use us in divine circumstances if we will just let him. 
He says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God's purpose was greater than the evil of his brothers. And again, he didn't diminish their behavior as being okay, but he pointed to the fact that even they, even though they had behaved sinfully, God was still going to use it to get his will done. So that's what I'm, what, here's what I want to say about that. So maybe you're in a circumstance right now, and you know the person who did what they did to you did it with evil intent. They were trying to harm you. They were not godly in any way that they did it. They were trying to rip you off, trying to, trying to harm your name, whatever it might be. In the middle of all of that, it doesn't condone their behavior, but you can trust that God will use it for his good if you will but let him. Amen? Well, the evil is not okay. The results can be. God can be glorified. Didn't it look like the most evil thing in the history of all mankind when our Savior was mocked and beaten and scourged and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head and the people spit in his face and they beat him and said, prophesy who's hitting you. And then they scourged him to the point that would, mo- would kill most men. And then they took the coat and ripped it off again, tearing open his skin yet again. Then they nailed him to a cross and walked by him, mocked him and said, if you're God, bring yourself down from here. Guys, it looks like the most evil, wicked thing ever done in human history. And you know what? They did crucify a man who did not deserve it. But guys, in the end, God's will was done. And in the end, God was glorified. And guess what? None of us has faced anything close to what our Savior endured. Amen? And what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Amen? We ought to have that same heart. Someone treats us in an evil way. Just remember who's got your back. Amen? Just remember who's on your side. It's a great picture of our Savior. While we deserve judgment because it was our sin that led him to the cross, our Savior points us to the grace that resulted from his suffering. And God is going to do the same thing with Joseph's enslavement. He's doing it to bring about his will. Joseph, you were enslaved, but it was a part of my plan. Their evil's not okay. I'm not excusing it, but it still brought about my will. Because guys, if Joseph had not been in Egypt, every man, woman, and child on the planet would have starved. Nobody would have lived. Joseph was the answer, the man that God used to save Every man, woman, and child on the planet, just as Jesus Christ is the only answer, the only one who can save us. Amen? Don't be grieved or angry because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And we know all things work together for good for those, them that love God, to them that are called according to your purpose. I was going to do this when I have time to His purpose. I don't have time, but I was going to have you turn your Bible to make sure that verse is still in your Bible. Because you know what? It's still true today. Amen? It's always been true. God's always been faithful. He's always right on time. We can always trust Him. The economy, our Father has a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? Economy's not too great for our God. Cancer's not too great for our God. Persecution from the world, not too great for our God. Our God is greater still. A marriage in trouble, God's greater. Rebellious children, God's greater. And God, use whatever you need to do that you might be glorified. Joseph said, guys, don't worry about it. It was wrong what you did. Don't be overwhelmed by it because you know what? God was in it and I recognize it. You know why Joseph could say that? Because Joseph had an eternal perspective. Joseph was walking with God and he could see that God's hand was upon every 
part of his life. Then he says in verse 6, For these two years the famine have been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Twenty-two years. Joseph was 17 when they threw him in the pit, and now he's 39. More than half of his life he's been gone. And all he tells him instead is, Look guys, this famine's not over. And because it's not over, that's why God sent me here. Because you would have starved otherwise. You meant it what Satan means for evil, God will use for good. What the world means for evil, God will use for good. Whatever you're going through right now, quit fighting back and start trusting God. Amen? So he lets them know, there's only been two years, this famine has just started. There's five more years in front of you. It's almost to say, hey guys, here and here alone is where the food is. If you leave here, if there's not a relationship between us, if you go away from here on your own, you will starve. Guys, if we leave here, if we go out on our own, trying to make it on our own, guess what? We will be separated from Almighty God for eternity. Guys, without Jesus Christ, we can't do it. Without Joseph on their side, they would have never survived. They never would have made it. The famine was only going to get greater. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Notice he says repeatedly, and God, but God. Throughout this whole last several chapters, he's always pointing to God. God sent me here. You didn't throw me into a pit, though you did, but ultimately that was God's plan. God brought me here. God's plan was not going to be thwarted. And God brought me here for a reason that I might be a blessing to you, that you might have posterity. That word speaks of the remnant that Abraham, the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom he had made a covenant, would become a great nation. If Joseph was not in Egypt, at least according to the way God chose to do it, they would have starved to death and the, tri- the 12 tribes of Israel would have died. Verse 8. So now it is not you who sent me here, but God. Can you imagine if somebody just rips you off, if someone just takes everything you have, if someone just mistreats you completely, and in the midst of all of it, can you imagine the ability to look at that person who's done this to you, who seems to have taken everything from you and say to them, you know what? You didn't put me here, God did. You didn't take this from me, God allowed it. You may reap the consequences of it, but God knows what he's doing, amen? Guys, we're his kids. We must not forget that. I have a brand new grandson. Don't you dare try to mess with him. You're going to be in trouble. You know, Gary and I will whoop you up. I'm just telling you. It's going to happen. You know why? Because that's the heart of a dad. That's the heart of a granddad, right? I mean, are you going to mess with my... We're imperfect. How much more does perfect, holy God look out for his kids? Amen? And sometimes we think that God's out to get us. or God, He's not out to get you. He's out to save you. He's out to conform you into his image. Joseph, yeah, you spent some time in a pit, but it was a part of God's plan to make you the man of God that you've become, a man of godly character, to become the man who God would use to rescue the entire world from the place they were in. Boy, what a picture of our Savior. It was God, and he did it out of love for you. So now, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house, 
and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. You threw me into a pit, and guess what happened? I became the ruler. People hung Jesus on a cross, and guess who he became? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. What they meant for evil, when Satan thought he'd won the ultimate battle, he had just lost the entire war. Amen? And same is true with Joseph. You threw me into a pit, but it's part of God's plan. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. You know what this means? This means that Pharaoh is the number one guy in all of the world, basically, certainly in all of Egypt. And guess who he comes to for counsel? Joseph. Have you ever had somebody, I've had many, somebody maybe who's older than you chronologically, but God has used you in their life to counsel them. Here's Joseph. He's a young man, but he's a wise man. And because God is upon him, Pharaoh, though a pagan and lost, recognizes God's hand upon Joseph, and he says, that's the guy I'm going to for counsel. And that's the kind of man he became, and I believe that's the kind of men and women we can be in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and in this city, is that they may not recognize Jesus yet, but they can still recognize Jesus in us and come to us for godly counsel. Amen? Lord, help us to be like Joseph. So, wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't making accusations. He wasn't seeking revenge. You, could have, you know what he could have done? Hey, uh, servants, come on in. I want 11 pits. Dig them deep out in the back. Throw them in. Leave them there until I tell different. Matter of fact, leave them there for about a week, and the next time a group of slave traders drives by, give me a call. Because I'll come out and have them pull them out of there and sell them into slavery. And then when they're in slavery for a while, I'll instruct them. I'll give them some extra money to make sure that they, you know, let them think that they're doing okay. And then throw them into prison for, I mean, he could have been seeking revenge. And I know none of us would ever do that to anybody who's harmed us, right? We don't seek revenge, right? We just say, oh Lord, bless them. Don't we? We're not supposed to bear false witness now, Amen. But Joseph emphasizes once again, this is God's plan. Verse 5, God did not send me before you. God did send me before you. God sent me before you. And it was not you who sent me, but God. It's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. Why does he have joy in his circumstances? Again, he come to fully understand that it was not his brother's evil works. It was not luck. It was not his good nature, his good charm, his hard work, his talent. It wasn't chance. It was God who brought him to this position. If you are in a place of plenty, God puts you there. If you're in a place of difficulty, God allowed you to be there. Wherever you are, give God the glory and hold on to God. Amen? Don't take the credit and don't murmur. God allowed him to spend time in the pit in the prison that he might be a man who could rule from the palace. God brought him now to be a tool. And instead of blaming people or complaining about our circumstances, may we learn to trust in the sovereign hand of God. Joseph realized that God ruled his life, not good men, not evil men, not circumstances, and not fate. It was God. God did it. Well, there's peace in the sovereignty of God. God's in control, and because God was in control, all things work together for good. So all things do work together for good in God's timing, not ours. According to God's ways, not ours. I'm certain if he went to Joseph and said, I'm going to make you second over all of Egypt, I don't think Joseph would have written down, let me spend some time in a pit, some time as a slave, and some time as a prisoner. I don't think that's how he would have done it. He would have said, 
Sweet. Going to make me second in charge of all of Egypt? Just help me win the election. Just let me be a dreamer of dreams, but no trials along the way. God's ways are better than our ways. Thirdly, all things work together for good. They do. To bring about God's plan, not ours. It's not, God's not allowing you to go through it so your plan will happen. It's so his plan will happen. And his plan's better. Amen? I look at some of my plans when I was a young man. I'm thinking, boy, God, thank you that you didn't go with my plans. What a disaster that would have been. Verse 9. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. So even in his message to his father, who he hasn't seen in 22 years, he wants him to hurry and come see him, but his message is still focused on the sovereignty of God. What does he say? Thus your son Joseph, says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Maybe you'd want to brag to your dad right about here. Hey, run back and tell dad what I've made of myself. He's going to be really impressed. Tell him about my palace. Tell him about my position. Tell him about the authority I have. Tell him about how everybody bows to me. Tell him about how you all bowed, just like my dream. Remember, go back and tell him. That's not what he says. He says, go back and tell him the Lord did it. Go back and tell him the Lord did it. It's all about him. God made me Lord. He knows all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but God uses them for his good. He can use a pit. He can use cancer. He can use a layoff. He can use financial difficulties. He can use the death of a spouse. He can use a rebellious child. He can use all things for his good if we will but let him. Amen? God is faithful. He doesn't complain about his circumstances, but he also takes no credit for the good that God has done through him. And this is a lesson for all us parents. While we are to raise them up in the way that they should go, ultimately it's God who watches over them. Amen? It was God watching over Joseph. Jacob thought his son was dead, but God was watching. Verse 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Goshen was located northeast of the uh, Egyptian Delta region. And over 400 years later, when you get to the book of Exodus, guess where the Jews are still living? In Goshen. Guys seen the Ten Commandments? Where are they? Land of Goshen. Verse 11. Then I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all who are with you, all you have, come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. So Joseph is not seeking vengeance or unfair treatment, but instead he sought to provide for them and to bless them. Joseph saw his trials from an eternal perspective. Not an unfair treatment, but God's plan to ultimately bring about this opportunity. He's saying to them, look, the famine is still coming, but you know what? God put me here so you don't have to worry. Guess what? Sin has consequences, but the heavenly Father allowed Jesus to go to the cross that we wouldn't have to endure the consequences of our sin. Amen? Here we see Joseph, again a picture. The source of redemption, forgiveness, and life. And here he's going to show forgiveness to his brothers. And God's going to use him as a tool to provide life for them. Not only for Israel, but for the entire world. And so too, Jesus died, not just for some, but for all. Verse 12. 
And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that is in my mouth that speaks to you. He's still proving to them who he is. He says, look, see my eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. Look, you can see by how I speak. You can recognize that I am indeed who I say that I am. He spoke to them in their language. He spoke the truth about being sold into Egypt. And they no doubt must have recognized at least some of his features. Didn't recognize him before, but 22 years later, knowing who he is, they start to recognize, oh, that's our brother. And the fact that he knew that we sold our brother into slavery, it's got to be him. Verse 13, so you shall tell my father and all my glory in Egypt of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Now in verse 14, then... He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Consider the day Benjamin had. Benjamin left, and they had the food for their family. They get not too far off, a guy rides up, they open up everybody's sack, and there's the cup, which means he rightfully could die, and at the very least he's going to be a slave. He gets dragged back in front of the man that they're all afraid of, And as he's about to receive his sentence, his brothers are standing with him, but Judah stands up and says, I'll take his place. Now that Judah says, I will take his place, Joseph reveals who he really is. And now Benjamin, instead of being put to death, Benjamin, instead of being enslaved, because Judah stood up in his place, is now reunited to his brother. Guys, If that's not a picture of Jesus, we're not paying attention. Amen? Because of what Jesus did, you and I will one day embrace Him in heaven. The shock of having the cup found, realizing His own guilt, realizing He's in trouble, being in a place of fear and trembling, finding out it's His brother, knowing what His brothers had done, and then in just a moment, His brother's out there hugging and kissing on Him instead of punching Him. Amen? I love that. Guys, God doesn't want to harm you. He wants to hug you. Amen? He weeps for you. He loves you. You're His treasured possession. Verse 15. Moreover, He kissed all of His brothers and wept over Him. And after that, His brothers talked with Him. They went from fear to a place of fellowship. Guys, if you don't know God, you should be afraid. But if you know Him... You can enter into fellowship. Amen? Amen. Judgment Day, the cross of Calvary, is either a place that brings great fear of eternity or one that brings great joy and anticipation of eternal life. And because they were afraid but now forgiven, they have fellowship. We were once afraid but now forgiven, we can have fellowship. Every wall had been broken down. He told them, don't worry about it. God is in control. Forgiven and restored, his previously silent brothers enter into intimate fellowship with Joseph. Joseph probably brought his wife and his two sons in. His his brothers told the news from home, and he caught them up over all the 22 years of what had happened. So all things do work together for good. In God's timing, not ours. According to God's ways, not ours. To bring about God's plan, not ours. Blessed for his sake, not ours. Verse 16. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and all his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. 
Bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. And also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. It didn't take long for the news of Joseph's brother reached Pharaoh. And why did he bless the brothers? Why did the man in charge bless Joseph's brothers for Joseph's sake? Why does God our Father allow us into heaven? Because of the Son. Amen? It's not because of what we've done, but because of who we're with. It's not because of what Joseph's sons had done, but because of who they were related to. Guys, we are brothers. We're the bride of Christ, and we're brothers and sisters of Christ, and we have a heavenly Father in common, and it's because of our relationship with Him that we get to enter in. He died as if He lived our life, and we will be rewarded as if we lived His. How good is that? And Joseph, because of who Joseph was, Pharaoh said, Pastor Dave paraphrase, hey, if they're your brothers, I love them. You saved all of us. Joseph, if it wasn't for you, we'd all be starving. Joseph, if they're your family, they're my family. Joseph, you know what? As much as I blessed you, I'm going to bless them just as much because they're related to you. It says return with carts to Egypt. It really means, it's a cultural equivalent. I tried to figure out what the equivalent would be. Imagine if you were starving and 20 jets loaded with food landed in your backyard. Because they came back loaded down. And why? Because he said, don't even worry, don't even fear. Even when that runs out, you're going to be fine. Aren't you glad that God's grace for us is sufficient? It doesn't run out. And God's going to feed them and minister to them. God's gonna, God desires to feed and minister to us. They had tortured and mocked and delivered their brother unto death. They had put their father through 20 years, two years of needless grief. And yet they were going to be abundantly blessed for Joseph's sake. That's Jesus again. Amen? Mockers, angry, bitter, jealous, envious, liars didn't care about their father's heart, and yet they're going to enjoy the blessings simply because they're related to Joseph. Last point. All things do work together for good. In God's timing, not ours. According to God's ways, not ours. To bring about God's plan, not ours. Blessed for His sake, not ours. We're blessed because we know Him, not because of who we are. And then lastly, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts, according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provision of, for the journey. He gave, the, gave to them, all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. He still continues to bless him more. Guys, let's not be concerned about how blessed someone else is. Be, just be thankful for how blessed we are. Amen? Don't be envious. Be thankful. So his brothers, verse 23, went away, sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. So he sent them and said, look, just head on home. Don't make any detours. You know what? I want to see dad. 
I've missed them. It's been 22 years. Joseph was telling them not to have doubts or fears arise again. Don't think that, you know, more tests are coming. I'm not going to have anybody ride after you to find a cup this time. It's okay. Don't be troubled along the way. I know who you are. Just head on home. God's got a plan for you. Verse 25. Then they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. Can you imagine? They had come to their dad 22 years earlier with a bloody coat and said, Joseph is dead. 22 years later, they come to their dad and say, Joseph is still alive. Not only are all 11 of us here, not only is all the provision here, but your son, who you once thought was lost, has been found. Isn't it interesting? Joseph, a type of the Lord in so many ways, was thought to be dead, but guess what? He was really alive. Jesus, thought to be dead, and three days later, he was dead, but three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. Amen? He's alive. Does the Bible rock or what? But notice what happens. I understand it. He's the governor over all the land of Egypt. That might have been harder to believe than he was alive. Hey, remember your son that we told you died? Well, actually, he's alive and he's the governor over all of Egypt. What? Yeah, you know your son you thought was dead? He's actually alive. He's the president of the United States. That's the equivalent. What? Notice how he responds. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. God was still doing a work in Jacob. He had shown faith in letting Benjamin go. His sons had been gone for several long weeks. He had no doubt been praying for their safe return, especially that of Benjamin. And now look at verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Could it be true? When he saw the wagons... When he saw it all, his, his spirit that had been filled with anguish and unbelief was revived. Guys, our God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Don't limit God. Don't question God. Don't doubt God. He can do greater. God could turn Santa Cruz into the Bible Belt of the United States. Can he do that? Absolutely. Guys, let's not limit what we believe God can do. He's greater still. Last verse. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Notice, he was Jacob, 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 and now that his faith is restored, he's Israel. Jacob means heel catcher or deceiver, and Israel means prince with God. Jacob's focus was not on his riches or Joseph's position. That was secondary. Who cares about the card of stuff? And who cares that he's prince of Egypt? All I care about is he's alive. Amen? Guys, it's not about position, but it's about being alive in Christ. So here's that awesome example of God's sovereignty. Seemingly evil, unfair, seemingly accidental and unrelated events and coincidences all work together to form God's perfect plan. When we're going through trials and suffering and seemingly unfair, undeserved difficulties, we must remember that God is in control. He's faithful, that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God, that all things do work together for good for those who trust in God, for those who are called according to the Holy Spirit. 
that we can have joy no matter what's going on around us, that our happiness is not happiness based on our circumstances, it's joy based on who we are in Jesus Christ. So, all things work together for good, and God's timing, not ours. He knows better. According to God's ways, not ours. Don't question His methods. He knows what He's doing. He's God, you're not. Amen? To bring about God's plan, not ours. But this doesn't seem to be going my direction. That's good. We want to go God's direction. Number four, blessed for, our, for His sake, not ours. We're blessed not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And finally, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is our God great or what? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be exhorted, encouraged, even rebuke, Lord, if we walk around faithless in the midst of trying times. Lord, may we learn to trust and know that all things do work together for good. Lord, may we look for the good. May we look for your hand. Instead of murmuring or complaining about our circumstances, Lord, may we instead look for your hand in the midst of it. May we not miss out on the divine appointments. May we not miss out on the calling. May we not miss out on the opportunity to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we ask that you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit because, Lord, in our flesh, we're going to complain every time. In our flesh, we're going to doubt. In our flesh, we're going to be faithless. But, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can live a life sold out and set apart unto you. So, Lord, we lay our lives at your feet. We ask that you fill us afresh. Lord, help us to see the world through your eyes, including our trials, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.